Welcome to Dissidents and Dictators, a series of conversations by the Human Rights Foundation dedicated to exposing and challenging authoritarianism around the world. Um, welcome everybody, and thank you to everyone who joins us today for our um, online panel. Um, as many of you know, um, yesterday marked uh, the third um, anniversary of the 2020 presidential election in Belarus, um, perhaps one of the most crucial moments in recent Belarusian history. Um, it was on this day, three years ago, that um, Alexander Lukashenko's government started the latest wave of repression in Belarus. Um, since 2020, tens of thousands have gone through prisons, dozens of independent organizations uh, were shut down, and hundreds of thousands of Belarusians had to flee the country. Moreover, uh, last year Lukashenko helped uh, President Vladimir Putin invade Ukraine, uh, which led to the biggest land conflict in Europe uh, since the Second World War. And so the topic of today's discussion will be Alexander Lukashenko, his regime, uh, his role in the war in Ukraine, and the steps the democratic community can take to mitigate the threat coming from him. Um, I will be moderating today's discussion, and I'm excited to introduce our speakers. Um, today we have uh, Hanna Lubakova, who is an exiled uh, Belarusian journalist um, and non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council. Uh, Hanna was also one of the main stage speakers at the Oslo Freedom Forum earlier this year, where she talked about political prisoners in Belarus, and uh, she previously worked for Belsat TV, which is one of the biggest Belarusian uh, independent media outlets. Um, and she had to flee the country in 2020 amid widespread repression. Um, her work has been featured in, <coughs> in the Washington Post, The Economist, and Open Democracy, among others. <coughs> uh, then we also have Pavel Latushka, who used to work in the Belarusian government as a diplomat and minister of culture. Uh, in 2020, he supported Belarusian protest and subsequently fled the country. He is now one of the key opposition figures working in exile, coordinating sanctions um, and the pressure campaign all on Lukashenko. Um, and finally, uh, today we have uh, David Kremer with us, uh, who worked as U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for Democracy, Human Rights and Labor from 2008 to 2009, and as Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs from 2005 to 2008. Uh, currently, he is the Executive Director for Global Policy at the George W. Bush Institute. Thank you all for participating on this panel. I'm glad to see you all today. Um, now, a few words about me. Uh, my name is Pavel Kutsoval. Uh, I work for the Human Rights Foundation as a policy officer overseeing Eastern Europe and former Soviet republics. Um, Human Rights Foundation is a nonprofit organization. We focus on authoritarian regimes such as Venezuela, China, and in Eastern Europe, countries like Russia and Belarus. Uh, which is something we'll be talking about today. Um, this online panel is part of our effort to bring to attention human rights abuses committed by uh, the regimes of Lukashenko and Putin and amplify voices of the activists in the region. Apart from this panel, uh, HRF constantly publishes articles on the topic, uh, which you can see on our website. And we have our own podcast called Dissidents and Dictators, which you can check on Spotify. Um, so again, glad to see you all here today. And without further ado, let's get into the questions. Um, um, the, the first question I would like to address to Mr. Latushka, uh, and that is, um, we know that the regime of Alexander Lukashenko is a very enduring authoritarian regime. Uh, we we saw how Lukashenko, um, whether through crises such as the protests of 2020 and the current isolation induced by his assistance to Russia's invasions of Ukraine last year. So, Mr. Latushka, <clears throat> could you please uh, tell us a little bit about the current state of affairs when it comes to sanctions on Belarus and other measures the democratic community is currently pursuing to put pressure on Lukashenko? Thank you so much, Pavel. Um, good evening, good afternoon, um, Anna and David. It's a great honor for me to participate uh, together with you in this discussion. Uh, firstly, I'd like to uh, tell you that I am representing here the United Transitional Cabinet as a deputy head 
of uh, this uh, unit uh, created by our leader, uh, Svetlana Tikhanovska, president-elect uh, in 2020. Thank you for this initiative to discuss uh, very important questions about the situation in Belarus and instruments and measures which we can use together to support Belarusian society in our difficult way to democracy and freedom. Um, the problem of sanctions, it's very important, very cru crucial question for uh, democratic forces Belarus. It's one among of many instruments which can use our foreign partners against uh, violence uh, as an instrument of uh, responsibility on the effects of the violence in the territory of Belarus, organized by dictatorship, organized by the Lukashenko regime. The main problem uh, was that shocks such sanctions were not imposed in 2020, uh, when it was a falsified election in our country. And this gave Lukashenko regime an opportunity to adapt to them. Uh, sectoral sanctions were also introduced late. US financial sanctions have not been imposed until now. Another key problem is the fact that the sanctions imposed on Lukashenko regime and on Russia have not yet been fully harmonized. It seems to me it's a main uh, problem. Given the existence of a single economic space, in fact, a single economy of Russia and Belarus within the framework of the Union State, Union State of Belarus and Russia, the lack of harmonization of sanctions against both countries actually turns Belarus into a gray zone and an offshore for bypassing sanctions. This strategic mistake of a number of partners in the West reveals a deep misunderstanding of the role of Belarus in the economic system of the Union state. They do not understand that Belarus' military industrial complex is Russia's military industrial complex. And this mistake is all the more terrible in the conditions of the war against Ukraine, which is being waged not just by Russia, but precisely by the Union State of Belarus and Russia. To understand the nonsense of the current sanctions policy of the West against Belarus, imagine that you impose sanctions against the Russian Federation, but do not impose them, for example, against Udmurtia, where the city of Izhevsk, within the largest arms factories, is located. Thus, the tasks to be solved are the first, strengthen and fully harmonize sanctions against Russia and Lukashenko's regime in Belarus. The second, to introduce the strictest control over the observance and to start punishing harshly for their violation. The said, uh, the said make it as expensive as possible for Russia to sponsor Lukashenko regime. And what is, uh, is also very important to neutralize the voices of lobbies who advocate, advocate weakening or lifting sanctions on Lukashenko's regime. To this end, we have developed a well-founded, reasoned position. The need to harmonize sanctions against Russia and Lukashenko's regime as the difference in sanctions between Russia and Belarus is the main loophole that allows the regime to bypass sanctions and reduce their effectiveness, establishing trade quarters against said countries involved in bypassing sanctions, eliminating gaps, uh, gaps in the system of financial settlements, improving mechanism to prevent the bypassing of sanctions. These measures should be taken to improve the regime of sectoral sanctions, which are key and have the greatest effect on the regime. Personal sanctions are also needed as a complement uh, and form uh, of accountability for those who commit crimes against Belarusians. 
To this end, we have collected evidence and proposed to impose personal sanctions during last year on 340 representatives of the regime, judges, so-called deputies, official propagandists, and etc. The purpose of the sanctions pressure should be destabilize and weaken Lukashenko system, create conditions for split of the elites or the regime's uh, readiness to make consensus, bring to justice those guilty of crimes against Belarusians. In addition to sanctions, we consider it's necessary to involve all possible mechanisms of international legal pressure to bring representatives of the regime and Lukashenko himself to responsibility already now. An arrest warrant to Lukashenko for Lukashenko for war crimes, namely the illegal transfer of Ukrainian children, the responsibility of the Lukashenko regime for the crime of aggression against Ukraine, bringing uh, representatives of the regime to justice within the framework of universal jurisdiction mechanism, establishment of a special tribunal for violation of the Convention of Torture. Thank you. Um, great. Thank you so much, um, uh, Mr. Latushka. Um, let's now turn our next question to Hannah. Um, in the last three years, uh, we saw the regime uh, arrest uh, tens of thousands of people for protesting. Um, could you briefly describe the current state of affairs in terms of domestic re uh, repression in Belarus? Um, are we seeing any trends? Uh, is there a worsening of the human rights conditions in the country? Of course. Uh, thank you, Pavel. Thank you for organizing this panel. I know how much effort you put into that. And thank you to the foundation for constantly focusing on Belarus and um, well, raising the issue. It's very important. Um, regarding the situation in Belarus, I wish I could have uh, good news for you, but uh, this is not the case. The situation is getting worse and worse since 2022. Since last year, repression only escalated, so they did not decrease, they only increased. And today, at least 17 people are being detained in Belarus daily. Again, this is daily, right? So this doesn't mean that repression, uh, repression stopped at all. This is what human rights defenders are being talking about. And regime became really paranoid. So a few days ago, a woman was arrested because her helmet had a red stripe and uh, police uh, thought that this was because she had uh, like national colors, the ones that Pavel has right now, white and red. So this is something that they're really scared uh, of. A um, few days ago, again, there was another case when a woman was arrested because she sang a Ukrainian song in at home, basically at her own house. And, uh, and yes, she basically was arrested for that. So my news feed became a tale of repression and arrest. And just to give you uh, some numbers, because I think it really helps us understand the scale of it. Since 2020, at least 60,000 people have gone through prison. Imagine 60,000 people. That's a lot for a country of nine and a half million. Um, but these are not only arrest of individuals, which are, of course, very important, but these are also um, uh, the regime is trying to destroy institutions. So this is another very important trend. The regime wants to create an institutional vacuum. So basically since 2020, at least 1,200 uh, civil society, non-government organizations have been destroyed, uh, have been dissolved. Um, so basically they were deprived of registration and they cannot uh, function inside Belarus. And these are not political organizations very often. These are environmental organizations or some institutions that helped uh, well, with domestic abuse, even bird watchers. So Belarus is perhaps the only country in the world that fights against bird watchers. And this just to show you the, the, well, the level, I guess, the scale of this paranoia of the regime. And it also shows us that Lukashenko is very scared of any discontent in the moment. Uh, he doesn't really forgot, uh, Lukashenko doesn't really forgot the trauma of 2020. And he wants to uh, prevent any potential, well, protest or self-organization of Belarusians. That's why he sees any uh, kind of civil society organiz organization he doesn't control as a threat. 
And I think also before 2024, uh, when we will have this united uh, sort of voting day in Belarus, the regime changed the constitution, and now we will have parliamentary and local election together. He wants also to exclude any possibility of protest or opposition being part of, of, of this voting. So even these old parties that were re registered like 20 years ago are now being deprived of registration. Of course, it's really crucial to mention the situation of political prisoners, which only got worse. Now, currently, we have at least 1,500 political prisoners. These are the names we know, but the real number might be at least twice higher. And what is really worrying right now is that first, we don't have information, we don't have communication with many of them. We don't really know what's happening with them. Uh, one of them is uh, former presidential hopeful Viktor Babarika, so we basically lost any contact with him. Uh, there is also lack of information and communication with Alias Belaski, Nobel Prize winner. And this is really worrying because the regime keeps them in incommunicado mode, which means that they are basically isolated. And in some cases, we don't really know whether they are alive. There, there were unfortunately also cases of death. So political prisoners also died in prison because they were denied medical help. Only last month, a very uh, prominent um, artist, someone I also knew, Alias Pushkin, died in jail because he was sick and he didn't receive medical help. So um, just, I guess, to sum it up, the situation got really worse despite this uh, brutal police terror. Uh, People still are doing what they can. Hopefully we will have a chance to talk about this as well. But open protests are currently not possible. Um, nevertheless, Belarusians are also well, trying to show their opposition, their discontent in every way possible. An example from yesterday, there were many manifestations, demonstrations around the world in at least 20 cities and uh, countries on several continents. And in Belarus, people from Belarus also sent us pictures how they went with flags somewhere well, hiding perhaps in the forest anonymously, but they're still there. And this is the signal they wanted to send to the world. Thank you, Anna. This is very interesting. Um, uh, David, um, I'm going to direct this next question to you. Um, uh, for years, uh, the, United, the United States and the European Union uh, have been trying to find an approach to engage with Minsk. Um, as recently as 2019, we saw high-ranking U.S. officials like Mike Pompeo and John Bolton uh, traveling to Belarus to negotiate with Lukashenko. Um, now that Lukashenko brutally suppressed uh, the protests and helped Putin invade Ukraine, uh, what do you think the strategy of the United States towards Belarus should be? And what do you think the long-term strategy of Washington towards Belarus should be? Pavel, thank you. And uh, thank, thanks to Human Rights Foundation for uh, hosting this and inviting me to participate. And, and as... Uh, uh, Pavel said it's a great honor to be with with Hannah and him uh, as panelists here. Um, this is a situation that I think, frankly, is going to revolve around what happens in Ukraine. Um, the success and victory of Ukraine over Russia will have enormous implications, obviously, not just for Ukraine, but for Belarus, too. And I think the future of Belarus really rides on the outcome of the war that Russia launched against Ukraine. The United States and allies need to ramp up our assistance for Ukraine to help it win, and winning should be the objective. Uh, and by winning, I mean driving every Russian occupying and invading force from Ukrainian territory, and then holding Russia accountable for the war crimes, crimes against humanity, and genocide that it has committed and also making sure that Russia pays for the damage it has done by not just freezing Russian assets, by seizing them. How does that relate to Belarus? Because Lukashenko is an accomplice to Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Lukashenko should be indicted by the International Criminal Court for what Pavel said earlier about his complicity in the abduction of Ukrainian children, um, for his support for the invasion by allowing Belarusian territory, by soil being used to launch the war against Ukraine and for threatening uh, other countries, including Poland, by allowing Wagner mercenaries to invade Belarus's ter territory. 
Lukashenko has done enormous damage to Belarus as a country, to its independence, to its sovereignty, to its territorial integrity. But the problem doesn't just stay within Belarus. I've just talked about his involvement in the war against Ukraine. Let's not forget the essentially the hijacking of a Ryanair flight in May of 2021, endangering all the passengers and crew on that plane simply because he wanted to arrest a blogger from Belarus who had been critical of him. Let's not forget his weaponization of refugees and asylum seekers from the Middle East and South Asia, where he was trying to punish countries that have supported sanctions against his regime. So we should never treat him as a legitimate leader. He lost his legitimacy years ago. And if anyone had any questions or doubts about that, they should have been removed when he stole the August 9th, 2020 election. We should consider Svetlana Sikhanovska as the duly elected leader of Belarus until new elections are able to be held. Um, and we should treat Lukashenko as the criminal that he is, not just for crimes against his own people, but for the crimes that have been committed against Ukraine. And so I, I would say that uh, U.S. policy should focus on doing everything we can to help Ukraine win. That will benefit Belarus and the people there ramping up sanctions. Just yesterday, the United States announced a new uh, series of sanctions uh, on Belarus, both for what's happening inside the country, the continued repression that Lukashenko oversees for his involvement in the war in Ukraine, um, and we also need to make sure that he never poses this threat again. So the, what happens in Belarus matters. It has spillover effects. It matters not just to the people of Belarus, but it matters to the people in the region and, frankly, well beyond. That Ryanair flight took off from Athens and was supposed to have landed in Vilnius. Um, and so people getting on that plane in Greece could have been killed had the pilots not taken the, the steps that they did. Lukashenko is a menace to his own people and to those in the region and beyond, and he needs to be treated accordingly. Thank you very much, David. Um, Hannah, um, I'm going to direct this next question to you. Um, we just spoke about the importance of uh, Ukraine's victory in the war against Russia. Um, and we know that Lukashenko played a role in this conflict. Uh, could you please elaborate on the support for this war in Belarus? Uh, do we know if Belarusians support this conflict or not? Um, what are the current sentiments in Belarusian society and how do we accurately measure them? Uh, thank you, Pavel. So the question about accuracy is very important. Uh, sociology might argue about the extent to which we should uh, trust the um, surveys, the polling uh, during a wartime and under a dictatorship. But I think in Belarus, there are topics uh, which uh, can show us that there is a consensus or something similar to it uh, in society. And the attitudes towards the full-scale invasion is one of those topics. How do we know? So we have several public surveys, for example, the Chatham House, a renowned British think tank, um, has been conducting uh, online surveys since basically 2020, I believe. Uh, there is another survey that, that was also public by um, a prominent uh, sociologist, Andrei Vardamatsky. It was a phone, um, well, polling, right? So they basically called citizens of Belarus inside the country. Uh, despite uh, a slight difference in the results, both surveys showed that the uh, absolute majority of Belarusians um, is uh, like are against the uh, uh, deployment of Belarusian troops to Ukraine. Between 97 and uh, 86 percent uh, oppose this uh, well potential development. So, so this shows us basically that there is consensus, and uh, the uh, large, well, the majority of the population disapproves. Uh, this also we have uh, the same data coming from uh, from the Chatham House uh, about the disapproval of attacks from the territory of Belarus, shelling, and uh, well Russian troops attacking Ukraine. 
Um, so I think this is another important uh, data. There are also non-public surveys, which uh, I have access to, and I believe uh, Mr. Latushka also has. So, so we, so I guess he can confirm this. Um, and and basically all of this various uh, various data show show us that. Um, uh, this uh, first, there is the absolute majority of people who are against, but also this um, number doesn't change. So that's a very stable pattern that we have been observing since the beginning of the full scale invasion. And this is something that we can rely on. Uh, a more, I guess, uh, well, tangible in a way, um, proof that Belarusians are against the uh, um, the invasion and potential Belarus participation in it in kind of more active way by sending troops. Um, it was in February 2022 um, when during the sham referendum organized by the regime on the third day of the full-scale invasion when basically Russian tanks and equipment uh, were moving and, and crossing the Belarusian border in attacking Ukraine, tens of thousands of Belarusians came out to the streets and uh, they basically, instead of protesting against the regime or against the referendum, they were also protesting against the war and against the, um, like Belarus being part of it, which uh, was very significant. Honestly, I did not expect that after this, at that moment, one and a half years of uh, brutal repression and state terror, Belarusians would still come out to the streets. And on that day, around a thousand people only alone, like alone on, on that day, were arrested and they were jailed, put to, uh, behind bars. Um, and after that, uh, as I mentioned before, right, repression never stopped. Another really important development in shows us this opposition of, of Belarusians is at least 80 sabotage actions organized by uh, our brave Belarusian railway partisans. So they basically attempted to and stopped the movement of Russian troops, which also helped Ukraine significantly. Why this number? This is the regime um, revealed, basically said itself about, about these 80 sabotage actions. So this might mean that there were even more. Uh, and what's also important, many, unfortunately, railway partisans were arrested and they face uh, 10, uh, 15, even more years in prison. And they might also face the death penalty because the regime changed the, the law. Um, and, uh, well, I guess another example, very important one, uh, Belarusian volunteers fighting in Ukraine and basically well, dying right now because we have um our brave heroes who who have died since 2022 one of these most important um well regiments is the kalinowski regiment uh, so this is um i guess one of the most organized group of these uh, fighters uh, belarusian volunteers in ukraine uh, who have been fighting there. And also, I think another last example perhaps would be the, um, but also a very important one. What we also noticed is that there is a large group of Belarusians who are willing to share information and basically monitor and follow every movement of Russian army on the Belarusian soil. And one, only one project, the Belarus, uh, Belarusian Hayun, which is a very uh, prominent one, has at least 30,000 individuals on the ground who sent information to this project about the movement of Russian troops or missile launches. And basically it was this immediate, um, like they sent this inform information immediately and that also helped Ukrainians to announce uh, these uh, air alarms, right? This is how it's called and basically it saved also lives. Unfortunately, some of these people have also been arrested because the regime is scared of any information being, being revealed. Um, so. I guess I will stop here, um, but but this this is how we measure, this is how we count, and this is how we also see that Belarusians uh, are against, and even propaganda uh, was not able to change the sort of uh, well um, number of people who are uh, who disapprove right the Belarus participation uh, in this war. Thank you, Hannah. Um... Uh, Mr. Latushka, um, this next question is for you. Um, you've been working on establishing a tribunal and documenting Lukashenko's crimes. Um, your team has recently reported that the Lukashenko regime helped Moscow steal Ukrainian children. 
Uh, Mr. Altushka, could you please talk um, about what kind of evidence there is to suggest that Minsk is complicit in taking Ukrainian children? Uh, how many children were taken? And will there be any repercussions for Lukashenko now that this information has surfaced? First of all, I'm absolutely agree with uh, what were presented by Hanna. It's uh, very important to understand the real situation in Belarus and out of Belarus, in Belarusian diaspora. And I also want to have a small reaction on the words of the honorable previous speaker, uh, David. Uh, responsibility of regime. It is very important. It's very uh, crucial question for all Belarusian people. Um, today, it is like an exam, exam like a test for our own understanding of effectiveness of democracy. That is why uh, Belarusians are waiting when it will be responsibility, when it will be in fact. Uh, we as a team, uh, National Anti-Crisis Management and one of the members of the United Transitional Cabinet, for our team, it is a, a main main goal to do everything in this uh, in this regard to to achieve this goal. And uh, as you said, on 27 of June this year, the National Crisis Management, uh, our team submitted to the International Criminal Court a communication under Article 15 of the Rome Statute on the illegal deportation uh, or transfer of Ukrainian children from the Russian occupied territories to Belarus. In our communication, uh, according with, uh, to the data stated uh, uh, in the communication from September 2022 uh, to May 2023, more than 2,100 uh, children aged uh, six or 215 from the Russian occupied territories of Ukraine were sent to so-called health camps uh, or sanatoriums in Belarus. All cases of uh, displacement of children uh, mentioned in the communication were organized and carried out by the Talai Foundation in cooperation with the Belarusian authorities acting on behalf of the so-called Union State of Belarus and Russia. I again mentioned this uh, institution, Union State of Belarus and Russia, as well as the Russian occupation authorities. In 2022-2023, Alexander Lukashenko, as head of the Supreme State Council of the so-called Union State, signed documents concerning the provision and financing of humanitarian aid to the population of the so-called Donetsk and Lugansk People Republics from the general budget of the Union State. And it's very interesting, very important to know that all these documents were signed by Lukashenko in Moscow. Uh, his dream is to be a leader in Moscow. That is why he signed all these documents. Uh, uh, and we, of course, uh, put it on our communication as, uh, uh, as arguments. Uh, he signed it in Moscow. The, measure, the measures stipulated by the decree of the Council of Ministers of the Union State of 16 September 2022 include, among other things, that funds from the Union State budget will be allocated for the transportation of children and the standing uh, committee of the Union State is responsible for this. Uh, that is why for us it's very important uh, gain responsibility. And Lukashenko arrest warrant is how the civilized world can fix its image in the eyes of Belarusians. Today, Belarusians see the inefficiency of the international legal system. The crimes will not stop until there is no accountability. Three years were waiting accountability. The warrant is a motivation for Belarusians and a precondition to lead to the split of the elites. But as a lawyer, uh, I'm talking about the facts of crime, crimes and the legal assessment is the main thing.
Um, David, to pick up on that, um, uh, we we know how uh, the regime of Lukashenko continues to commit numerous uh, human rights abuses, uh, whether it's against Ukrainians or towards Belarusians. Um, and we also know that there have been uh, numerous sanctions imposed on Minsk since at least 2020. Um, in your opinion, what additional measures uh, the United States could introduce in order to make the current sanctions on Lukashenko more effective? Well, as I mentioned, Pavel, uh, just yesterday, the United States uh, imposed additional sanctions on a number of uh, enterprises and I think uh, over 100 individuals as well. And uh, Secretary Blinken and announcing them said the United States continues to stand with the brave people of Belarus as they seek a country grounded in the rule of law, respect for human rights, and an accountable democratically elected government. The United States and the EU and Canada, I think, also imposed additional sanctions yesterday as well, need to tighten these sanctions um, so that there is no trade essentially going from Belarus to other countries. It is painful for the people of Belarus. Um, and and in, in tightening these sanctions, the West needs to underscore that it's not the people of Belarus we are looking to punish. It is the regime we are looking to punish. I was uh, the uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary in the State Department from 2005 to early 2008 when we imposed sanctions in 2006 after Lukashenko uh, launched a vicious crackdown going after presidential candidates who challenged him. And we were rather clear in what we wanted to see as a result of those sanctions, and that was the release of eight political prisoners. It took too long but we were able to secure their release. And then unfortunately, I would say both the United States and the EU softened their approach toward Lukashenko and Belarus, thinking that they could win him over toward the West and pull him away from Moscow. We should recognize that a, uh, what is it? A tiger doesn't change its stripes and Lukashenko doesn't change. He will remain a brutal, ruthless dictator who remains in power through illegitimate means that include use of force. And so there need to be no let up in sanctions now after what he has done to the people of Belarus, what he's doing now to Ukrainians. And there should be a concerted effort to continue to ramp up pressure. I, I think one of the main goals should be pressure to secure the release uh, immediate release of all the political prisoners. Hannah mentioned uh, maybe around 15 or 1600, but possibly double that number. Um, getting people out of prison is a critically important thing to do. People who do not belong in jail deserve to secure their freedom as quickly as possible. And so I think that is a minimal goal, however. We need to continue to apply pressure until Lukashenko is no longer in Minsk, no longer illegitimately and illegally maintaining power. But that also means, and I'll, I'll end with this, tightening sanctions on Russians who support Lukashenko, tightening and imposing sanctions on people elsewhere who support Lukashenko, including in the Persian Gulf region that have provided him support, financial support, and an outlet to stash away his ill-gotten gains. So we need to turn uh, the screws on both our enemies and the Russian government in Moscow and apply pressure on our friends in the Gulf to make sure that Lukashenko does not have any support coming from any source. Okay, thank you. Um, we all saw um, these scenes in late June uh, when uh, Prigozhin's Wagner mercenaries uh, marched on Moscow and demanded uh, key military leaders to be handed to them. Um, it's no secret that the mutiny, although short-lived, uh, made Putin look weak. Um, it was also reported that Lukashenko coordinated negotiations between the Kremlin and Prigozhin. Um, Mr. Latushka, what do you make of this? Uh, does that signal that Lukashenko's role uh, and influence have increased in the last year and a half, or do you think it was just a charade to kind of make him look more important than he actually is? 
Um, first of all, what is necessary to understand is that uh, Putin and Lukashenko, they are in one uh, boat. And uh, Lukashenko in this, uh, in this situation tried to help himself uh, to stop Prigozhin trip to Moscow. It means that he wants in that moment to save himself in this uh, difficult for him situation. As uh, any problems in Moscow, it means problems in Minsk in, uh, for Lukashenko personally. Uh, what uh, we have now? Today, we can uh, see uh, an information and propaganda special operation in the territory of Belarus, organized by Lukashenko and Putin together. Uh, they try to provocate situation in borders, uh, borders of Belarus with Poland, firstly, uh, with Latvia, less in with Lithuania, and also in the border of with Ukraine. Uh, which way they are destabilize the situation? Firstly, of course, they are using the Wagner Group. They locate uh, different groups or different part of these groups uh, the, in different places on the territory of Belarus, in Brest region, in Grodan region, near the Polish-Ukrainian border, near the, near the Polish and Lithuanian border. Last information is that they want to locate one of the camp near the Ukrainian border, the central camp, it is the center of Belarus, not far from Minsk, 80, 90 kilometers uh, near uh, Minsk, or capital of Belarus. Uh, so they destabilize the situation uh, near the borders uh, of with NATO, countries and with Ukraine using the Wagner group, what um, they do, they pushing illegal migrants on the border. Just I read before our meeting last news from uh, Polish authorities, uh, last day it was 115 attempts of illegal migrants to cross border with Poland. The last week it was 300 per day it was 200 per day. So we know that in the Grodna and Brest region near the border with Poland, a lot of migrants now are leaving. So they are waiting uh, a time when they will go to the border. So it was, they want to provocate using this instrument. And also which way they are provocating situation, they are moving the armed forces of Belarus um, also uh, primarily to the borders of Poland, uh, but also to the border of uh, Lithuania, for example, so-called Suvalski corridor uh, and Ukraine. So it's a special information operation. Also, um, uh, we hear what uh, Putin said about the territory of Poland, that it was a present from Stalin after the Second World War. We had the words of Lukashenko that Wagner's are dreaming to go to Rzeszów, to go to Warsaw, to uh, spend several days in the capital of, of uh, Poland. Um, so what, why they're doing this? They want um, to have an influence uh, to the Polish society, to the European society. And given the uh, parliamentary elections scheduled for, for October, so it's in October 15, in Poland, it will be parliamentary elections. So they are focused on this uh, parliamentary elections. They want to have this influence to the Polish society. And they want to, to have the result that uh, more money, more arms, more weapons, NATO will send to Poland, to Lithuania, to Latvia, to defend security uh, of that countries. NATO members and less money, less support, less arms uh, to Ukraine. So it's strategic idea. It's um, it seems to me uh, what to do, uh, and it's very important in my opinion. Uh, I know a little bit this guy with mustache. It is important to send to him a clear message uh, about the consequences 
uh, that um, await him if he does not stop the destabilization on the border. Um, that, for example, uh, it will be uh, provide an embargo, a trade embargo uh, between uh, Poland, Lithuania, and Latvia simultaneously with Belarus. And it will be a strong message to China, because China have a, a great interest to use transit uh, corridor uh, from the through the territory of Belarus to send uh, uh, products to European Union. Thank you. Thank you, Pavel. Um, Hannah, uh, we now know that um, um, Belarus hosts the Wagner fighters uh, who are now stationed at the border with Poland. Um, and they've been training alongside the Belarusian military uh, and recruiting new fighters. Um, what do you think is the purpose of this? Um, is this another provocation by the Kremlin uh, or is it a decoy to draw out um, Ukrainian and Polish forces or something else? Sure. Um, I think Pavel already mentioned that for sure that the, well, they are involved in provocations and this is definitely escalation from both Lukashenko and Putin. Uh, it's been what, one month and a half right, since uh, Prigozhin's mutiny, and we don't really have many details of this uh, presence of Wagner troops, for how long are they going to stay in Belarus, uh, are they going to, well, train the Belarusian military, as was officially stated, forever, for several months, where are they going next, are they going to Africa, or are they staying, are they going to use Belarus as their sort of headquarters, or they will be really present there and, and kind of continue provoking both the, both, uh, the West and Ukraine, because they their mere presence is something that uh, our neighbors, um, including Ukraine, uh, have to think about. So these, uh, all of these sort of um, kind of the results, right, uh, or details of their presence will be a factor of what role they will they will play in the future. For now, this is definitely uh, they use this uh, as uh, well for provocations. For Lukashenko, I think that was also another um, another goal he had, apart from uh, saving Putin, which I totally agree with Pavel, uh, that's something that he wanted to do, but he is using Wagner right now as a um, sort of factor uh, to make Western countries take him more seriously, because this is also something that he does with the Russian nukes. On the territory of Belarus, he wants to be respected. He wants to be a, a political subject. He wants to have a, a higher, like a kind of bigger political weight. Uh, this is something that Pavel also mentioned regarding the migration crisis, uh, which has been uh, continuing. Actually, it, it didn't stop. Maybe now the scale is a bit uh, less, but uh, but migrants are still there. And what uh, Lukashenko wanted to have uh, is when Chancellor Merkel called him and asked him uh, not to, to kind of stop migrants from uh, coming to Poland and Lithuania. And Lukashenko felt very um, appeased, I think, and, and he likes, you know, being called, he likes uh, being important. So, so this is something um, we can also, well, keep in mind uh, to how to understand his uh, mentality. For Putin, uh, apart from provocations, right, because this is also something that he wants to do, um, is uh, he also had another goal. So of course he wanted to solve the crisis, he wants to keep safe his face, and now he looks, um, also, it's um, not as someone who was kind of very weak, you know, in the beginning, he was not decisive, as we all remember, but maybe for people, for Russians, for people in his country who watch uh, state TV, he now looks as someone who kind of planned this, you know, in the beginning, he now um, looks as this wise politician who not only solved the crisis, but now Wagner mercenaries are threatening the West, you know, from the territory of Belarus, so this is something, this is perhaps... Uh, uh, another factor for um, a reason, I guess, for Putin to to keep Wagner mercenaries in Belarus apart again from provocations. But what we, uh, I think, also must understand is the role of Belarus, right? In in this, um, it shows how significant the role of Belarus is for Russia, for Putin, especially uh, for um, uh, for the people of Belarus who I doubt uh, would support the presence of Wagner uh, mercenaries on their territory. 
um, because propaganda in the beginning basically said that many people in Belarus perceive the news very negatively, uh, which is, uh, I think, uh, can serve us as evidence of, uh, of, of that, that they are not happy. Um, for for people, uh, it will be there will be devastating consequences uh, because if Poland, Lithuania, and other countries would stop, uh, would close the border, uh, it might also mean they might leave, of course, humanitarian corridors, uh, hopefully. But it also means that for them, it will be more difficult to um, uh, to to travel to leave their country. So so this is something that they will feel. Um, of course, it also means an iron curtain uh, if indeed our neighbor would close the border and again in the longer term this would affect people so this is very important to remember and it also makes Belarus a target right as well as Russian nukes but also Wagner mercenaries because if something happens if they would escalate if they cross the border uh, with the NATO with Ukraine that might also mean that well at least their base might be attacked on the territory of Belarus and again we don't know uh, what can happen, right? This will definitely mean um, es escalation. So for Putin and, and of course the Belarusian regime, we kind of can understand why they're doing this, but people of Belarus would be um, those who would definitely feel the consequences. Thank you, Hannah. Um, speaking about nukes, um, uh, David, uh, could you please talk a little bit about um, how the stationing of tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus uh, changed the cal calculus of Washington when it comes to its strategy towards Belarus? There, I, I think, are, are two elements to this. One is this is Putin's effort to try to scare people by talking about use of tactical nuclear weapons and deployment into Belarus. And there may be some success in that, although I don't think it has had the effect that he had hoped. But then the other is that by deploying these weapons, it gives Russia yet another reason to send forces onto the soil of Belarus and essentially occupy the country. Um, and I think Lukashenko is, is responsible for this. He is allowing it. He is, maybe he doesn't have a choice, Putin to borrow an expression from one of my favorite movies, The Godfather maybe made him an offer he couldn't refuse. But Lukashenko has been doing this for years. He's been selling out Belarus's sovereignty and territorial integrity and independence. And essentially, Belarus, I would argue, is an occupied state, occupied by Russia. And the forces that are necessary to man the tactical nuclear weapons become further occupying forces. And so this, I think, I would hope, if it changes the Western thinking and strategy, it would be to recognize Belarus is uh, occupied by Russia as well, not with the atrocities being carried out by Russian forces. Um, Lukashenko is involved in enough of those himself, but um, it, it should make us realize that Lukashenko and Putin have been engaged in the occupation of Belarus for years, and it has only accelerated since February of last year. And the tactical nuclear weapons, the deployment of these weapons, is a further means by which Lukashenko has sold out his country's independence, and a further means by which Putin is engaging in a takeover of, of the land in Belarus. So I, I don't think militarily it means much. Um, I don't believe that use of tactical nuclear weapons is likely. Um, I think the Russian military, in fact, may resist any order if, if Putin should give it to use tactical nuclear weapons. It's not likely to change the military dynamics on the battlefield. It may kill as many Russians as Ukrainians. Not that Putin really cares about that. It may blow over into Russian territory. Um, and so I think we have to not fall into the trap that Putin is trying to set for us by scaring us with these weapons, but recognize that they are another means by which Putin is uh, expanding his control over his neighbor. Thank you, David. Um, last question uh, that I would like to address uh, to Hannah, but actually anyone can chime in if you have uh, an opinion on this topic. Um, Hannah, um, 
since February 2022, we've heard calls to restrict Belarusian citizens from traveling to the European Union and impose other forms of restrictions in response to Lukashenko's acts of aggression. Uh, in your opinion, how do you punish the Lukashenko regime without further hurting the Belarusians who are fleeing the violence? And what would be your recommendations on how to help Belarusians? Thank you. So first of all, um, the strategy should include several pillars, right? And pressure and justice, uh, something that Pavel Latushka have, uh, has been talking about is very important. So all of this should, should, should come together. But also there is a third pillar, uh, something that I've been talking about since 2020, basically since the beginning of the revolution, is assistance, is support for people and for civil society, for political prisoners. This is really crucial. This is really important. And this should be also part of this entire package. So all of this should come together. Pressure. Um, assistance and justice, right? So let's just not exclude um, one and, and focus on the rest. Uh, they are all equally important um, because here we support people, right? But not the regime. Civil society plays a very significant role in mobilizing people, in preserving uh, their moods, their um, opposition to the regime, towards the war, towards the nuclear weapons, uh, even Wagner uh, mercenaries, right? Information is becoming very crucial. Um, something that uh, I've been also talking about because we have to reach those minds inside Belarus. We have, of course, a um, about traditional war, but we, we also have an information war and we should also focus on that. Um, what we are doing, so I mentioned this dissolution, uh, this, this right, of uh, civil society organizations, but we are building them in exile. None of, uh, well, many organizations uh, did not stop functioning. They are now here, they're in Lithuanian, Poland, in Georgia. They did not become Polish, Lithuanian, Georgian organizations. They are still Belarusian organizations and they still focus on Belarusians inside the country. This is really crucial. Even the number of political prisoners, number of detention we know them because there are human rights defenders who follow, who monitor, who collect this information and send this to us. Without this, we will not be able to, well, have this connection with Belarusians inside the country. And why am I talking about this and the urgency of this? Uh, because, of course, the well, support of the world, uh, democratic world to, to, to democratic Belarus has been unprecedented, right? Uh, we obviously heard when we, um, we lobbied for, for this support, for this assistance. And the US aid to Belarusian civil society uh, in the past years uh, is amounted to $30 million per year. Year. Uh, but uh, we have uh, the right indicators that this support might uh, might decrease, and I I just uh, a word of warning. So I, I I don't want this to sort of to happen because this is really important not to reduce right this support but only increase because again the needs increased but 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 also the importance of it, especially now when we face the um, threat to. Um, to our independence and sovereignty due to Russia and Lukashenko's actions, it's really important to preserve the language and 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 have this um, you know network of media. Um, the West can also promote itself more by explaining what it does because the democratic forces are now focusing on. Um, well, advocating for Belarus becoming a member uh, state in the future of the European Union and basically having a European perspective for Belarus. And this is really crucial. The US can join here um, because, well, there are many ways. Um, the EU commitment for 3 billion uh, euros for future Belarus to stabilize the, the, the economy of future Belarus when Belarus becomes free is crucial. So here also there is a room for, for the US to consider how they can also use it and how they can also join. There is also US-Belarus dialogue that was announced recently, of course, by Belarus, I mean the democratic forces. And this is really crucial. This uh, can become a, a very important platform for discussions, but also for uh, working together on a strategy of how to achieve, uh, how to bring about change. And, and I just want to promote this initiative. And um, I hope it's going to be a, a very inclusive platform for a different well, civil society, media, dem democratic forces, of course, together uh, with Americans to, to discuss. The U.S. special envoy in Belarus, uh, I hope, will be also supported by, by various um, 
political structures in the in the states because that's a very important person and mechanism how to influence the situation and how to kind of be in touch and um, again coordinate the strategy of course the issue of political prisoners must be in focus but again uh, i just want to um to highlight here i, I know that we uh, want to be mindful of time but all of these kind of points that i mentioned pressure assistance and justice should come together and what uh, both uh, pavel and david mentioned on some Functions is important, and of course, on justice, the international tribunal uh, on uh, on Lukashenko and his regime must also be launched because this is the best way how to achieve justice and also how to split the elites. Thank you, Hannah. Well, actually, this is exactly one hour perfect on time. Um, so um, that was my last question, and um, I I think that was a great discussion. And I want to say thank you to everyone. Thank you, David. Thank you, Pavel. Thank you, Hannah, for joining today and sharing your um, knowledge on, on this topic. Definitely very important. Um, HRF will continue supporting Belarusian people going forward, um, just like we've been supporting since um, August 2020. Um, and again, thank you so much for, uh, for joining this great discussion today. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much.